Hey, let's give all those who helped with VBS a big hand. Fun times, fun times. You gotta love VBS, all stuff going on, all the kids having a good time, hearing about God. I love it when I go home and, and my four-year-old, almost four-year-old in the backseat is just singing all the VBS songs, you know. Yeah, he's, he's reminding me just uh, about um, God and his purpose for me, and then I find myself singing those songs later. It's just, it's just what a fantastic time. Thank you, thank you, all of you who have been involved in VBS and making that possible. What a, what a fantastic time that is for everybody. We've been in a series, Unquenchable Hope. And maybe the one thing that you have gotten out of this series is that uh, we have an unquenchable hope, but that there is a tether, uh, there, there is a string, uh, there is a link uh, in chains, right, uh, between the resurrection of Jesus and our unquenchable hope. We have unquenchable hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. There's, there's no doubt about it. It's, it's where we draw all of our purpose, our, our strength, our hope for what is to come, and even for right now, uh, because of the resurrection of Jesus. And as we end this series this morning, I, just, I have two very simple questions that I want to ask. Just, just two couple, a couple of things uh, that I want to ask of you and that I want to ask of myself that, that God's word is going to inform us on. Two very simple questions about the resurrection. The first one is just very simple. Who am I because of the resurrection? Uh, because of the resurrection of Jesus, uh, what's my identity? What's the essence of who I am? And, and the second one is really linked with it. I mean, you don't get away uh, with who I am without answering really this second question, and, is it, and it is, uh, how am I going to live because of the resurrection? Uh, how is my life going to be impacted? How, does it, how is it going to be altered? How is it going to be different uh, because of the resurrection of Jesus? You see, we have this unquenchable hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. And I, I simply want to ask, as we close out this series, these two very simple questions. Who are you? And how am I supposed to live because of the resurrection? Now, we're jumping out of 1 Corinthians 15, and we're jumping into 1 Peter. And 1 Peter happens to be a book, and it's written to a bunch of people uh, who are, 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 well, they're struggling a little bit. They're, they're having to endure some suffering in their life. Some things have gone south, and, uh, and God just simply wants to remind them about who they are and how they're supposed to live. And he does all of that in this framework of the resurrection. Now, when I say, who are you and how are you supposed to live, I want you to know that I'm not asking you what your name is. I'm not asking you to go back to your birth certificate and say, well, I was born on such and such a day and I, I weighed such and such a weight, all right? I'm, I'm not asking you for that. I'm not asking you what your occupation is. I'm talking about what's the essence of who you are, okay? Uh, what we're asking is, so when you're at work and not in a, in a church building and not with a bunch of Christians, who are you? Like when you're... When you're hanging with a bunch of your friends, right, who, who are you then? When you're with your neighbors, who are you? When you're with your spouse at the worst possible moment, who are you then? When your kids are about to drive you absolutely up the wall. And if you have kids, you've been there. 
If your kids are about to drive you batty, who are you in that moment? So we're simply asking the question of the resurrection. Who am I because of it? Who am I because of this resurrection? And how am I supposed to live? First Peter answers those questions in the framework of the resurrection. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, it's going to be page 850. Uh, keep that open. We're going to walk through different pieces of 1 Peter. But you can join me, page 850, 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1. best sound in the world is people flipping through their Bibles. The preacher's dream. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, and scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance, Peter writes. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. Listen, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to re be revealed in the last time. Now, it's been an undercurrent, really, this entire series. It's been, it's been right underneath of the surface uh, of this, this series. When we've talked about the resurrection, uh, when we've talked about Jesus, when we've talked about this unquenchable hope, it's been right there underneath the surface. Who are you? Well, the text says, the text quite simply says, uh, in plain language, you're strangers because of the resurrection. Uh, did you catch it? It's right there in verse 1, to God's elects, strangers in the world. Now, some of you are strange, and hopefully all of you are strangers. I love how he categorizes uh, those who have partnered uh, with Christ in the resurrection. Uh, he says that you have a category of, of, of who you are in heaven, and you have a category of, of who you are on earth. Now, he is talking to people uh, who things have gone south for them, and he's trying to affirm for them. He's trying to uh, confirm uh, where they stand with God. Because there, are been, there have been those who have come along who have begun to say, eh, I'm not so sure about this faith that you have in Jesus. I'm not so sure that what you believe in is real. And so Peter comes along and he says, let me tell you how real it is. God holds the key to your salvation. So your identity in heaven is saved. But your identity on earth is stranger. Your identity in heaven is saved, but your identity on earth is stranger. Check, check this out. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 3. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Who gave us the new birth? 
God did something in us to resurrect our very self. Our identity is new because of Christ. We have been reborn, you might say. We have been reborn not because of something we did, but because of something God did, right? He, because of the resurrection, has changed us from something old to something new. He says, and we have been uh, through into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Here's the deal. Your salvation, your status as one who's identified as saved is kept with God. He holds the key to your salvation, right? It's locked with him. It's kept in heaven for you. Right? Your, your identity with him, if you partnered with him in the resurrection, is one who is saved. Your identity on earth is one who is a stranger. It's a stranger. We're going to see that again in chapter 2, verse 11. Listen to what it says. He says, Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world. Now, how is it that we... How is it that we come to be strangers in the world? How is it that we come to be aliens in the world? Or I think Peter answers that question in chapter 3. You can flip over there if you're following along. In chapter 3, he begins to say, how is it that our identity becomes that of strangers in the world? In other words, if we're saved with God in heaven, we're strangers in the world right now. Listen to what he says. In verse 18, he says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And he was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom he went and preached to spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while, in the, ark, while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. And it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Listen, I know of no better, more full picture of our partnership with the resurrection of Jesus than baptism. When I say baptism, I mean that we go into the water Uh, that we're dunked underneath of the water uh, just like you would be buried, and then we come up out of the water just like Jesus was raised. Now, I know some of you uh, probably have objections at this point. You're like, well, I probably uh, had this experience when I was a child, and my parents thought I should go to this church, and I should be baptized as a, a baby, and they sprinkled my head, and I have just a couple comments for you. That is wonderful. I'm so glad that your parents or your grandparents cared for you enough to try and put you in front of the church. That's awesome. But here, I think Peter is saying the most full expression of the gospel and our partnership with Christ in baptism is through immersion, that that we would die to self and be resurrected to live with him in a new life. See, we're, we're saved with him, but we're strangers in the world, those who have partnered with God in this baptism, uh, we are called strangers and aliens. Now, this is a borrowed term. This is not anything new uh, out of the pages of Scripture, okay? 
Uh, God has always, always, everybody say always. He has always called his people to be strangers and aliens in the world. When he chose Israel out of all the nations that he could have chosen, he chose them to be strangers and aliens in the world. Uh, They were the ones uh, who were supposed to take what God had given them uh, to all the other people around them. They were supposed to be strangers and aliens. When we see uh, Abram in Genesis chapter 12, he is called by God to leave his home country and go to a country he doesn't know that God is going to show him. In Exodus chapter 3, when we run into Moses, he has gone into exile, he's gone into the desert, he's like, "Uh, I'm just going to go, I'll live the rest of my life in the mountains, and and I'll, I'll shepherd sheep. And God shows up and he says, hey, no, I want you to go back, and you're going to end up being a stranger and an alien in a foreign land, right? Uh, When we run into Jesus... Uh, Jesus, uh, John tells us, comes down from heaven to earth uh, to tabernacle among us, right? Uh, He's a stranger and an alien here on earth, right? Because where is his home? It's not here. It's in heaven. So what Peter is trying to say to all of us who have this unquenchable hope, who have partnered in the resurrection of Jesus in our baptism, uh, what he's trying to say is, hey, hey. Your residence has changed. You're a stranger here now. And how you look at things and how you act on things, it's going to be, quite frankly, completely different. You're strangers. You're aliens on earth, in the world, because you've partnered with Christ in the resurrection. Now, that's pretty cool. You're saved with God in heaven, then you are strangers while you're on earth. Now, God's word is also going to tell us, how is it that we're supposed to live? Well, how we're supposed to live has a lot to do with who we are. You see, who we are is followed by how we're going to live. It becomes the identifying marker. Right? These two questions, who am I and how am I going to live, are linked. They're not separated. I can't say that I'm one thing and then do another thing. I can't say that I live as a Christian. I can't say that I live as uh, someone who has partnered in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I can't say that I'm a stranger and alien in the world and then decide somehow to live differently. And so... The text is going to tell us, God's word is just simply going to say, the activity of how you live is identifying who you are. It follows who you are. Check out chapter 2. Check out chapter 2 in 1 Peter, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, there it is again, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your souls. You're supposed to live differently. Christians, you're supposed to live differently because you are aliens and strangers to the values of the world. Because you partnered in the resurrection. How are you supposed to live? Well, uh, you're supposed to live uh, such, such a life that you would abstain from sinful desire. You're gonna live a strange life while you're here on earth. Now, recently, I have seen uh, pictorial evidence of this. 
I've seen it. In fact, it happened this week at VBS. I want to show you a couple of slides here of evidence of people who are living as strangers. They were slimed. Go ahead and show the next slide. That's our own Corinne, I think, under there. I don't know if Josh got to do that or not. And then Jed, our youth minister, covered from head to toe in slime. Go ahead. There's all the people at VBS that got slimed. Yeah, give them a hand. Wow. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Why in the world would you volunteer to get slimed? Because you are strangers. You see, your identity, who you are, the essence of how God has changed you, the partnership that you have in Jesus Christ, it has, it has fundamentally changed who you are. It has changed how you think about things, right? And, and you find yourself partnering with other people and doing things that you never in a million years would do, like, like volunteering uh, to stand up and be slimed because you understand that there's a greater purpose than simply what happens here. Now, my understanding, for those who don't know, is that this was a very thick sort of slime. And then it was made with some sort of gelatin. And then when it, was, uh, when it contacted the cold water of the hose that was supposed to wash it all off, it just became chunks. My understanding is that there have been those who have showered three and four and maybe even five times because there were still chunks of slime in their hair or in their beard. Why do you do this? Because you, you have a perspective of one who is a stranger in the world. Your activity follows who you are. And so I am up here this morning simply asking you uh, to exercise your unquenchable hope because you partnered in the resurrection in how you live. Now let me ask you, how are you living at work? The other day I, I was uh, in a lumber yard. I happened to be re-roofing my house and uh, I needed to come into the lumber yard for a couple of items, and I came in, and I was asking for help at the desk, and uh, there was a man there. He was a customer, uh, and, and all sorts of things began to fly out of his mouth, things that you might hear a construction worker say, and I am not going to repeat them. And I just began to think, for all of us who have said, who have identified ourselves with Christ, who have, who have said, I, I partner with Christ in the resurrection at my baptism, is who I am consistent with being a stranger in the world when I'm at work? When I'm at work, or maybe, maybe if I were to hang down at the at the local co-op here in town. And I were just to, to watch and observe the, the people that would come in and go out. Uh, would I recognize who the strangers are? 
in the world. Uh, maybe if I were to hang down at the hospital and, and notice the, the number of you that, that work or come and go in the hospital, would I recognize those who, who are strangers and aliens in the world but saved in heaven? Would I recognize who you are because of how you live? Uh, women, I, I wonder I wonder sometimes if what you most desire in this life is to be beautiful. Women, do you, do you desire to be beautiful? And I wonder if, if because of your partnership in the resurrection of Jesus, if you could reframe beauty. You see, our, our world says that beauty is on the outside, that beauty is about clothes, that beauty is about your nails, that, that beauty is about your hair. Uh, but I wonder if you could begin to reframe beauty because you're aliens and strangers in the world and how you begin to live out beautiful would be different. That you wouldn't need to have clothes or nails or hair for someone else to tell you that you're beautiful, uh, but in fact, you would, be, you'd be, you would be so reconfigured because of the resurrection of Jesus, uh, because you partnered with him in, his, in your baptism, that you would reorient your life so that he could tell you so that God himself could tell you you're beautiful. That your beauty would be first for him and no one else. I wonder, parents, if, if we began to live differently because we have partnered with Christ in the resurrection, that how we live would actually begin to match who we say we are. That when our children are about to drive us through the wall. Not up the wall, through the wall. That, that when we are at wit's end, instead, instead of yelling, instead of responding to our children the way the world might respond to children, we might just get quiet. That we might respond lovingly and yet firmly so that they could see who Jesus is. I wonder, student athletes, if during a game and, and you strike out or, or you miss a ball or, 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 or uh, you miss a shot or your team uh, lost the big game that you knew that you were going to win, I wonder instead of allowing the expletive to come out of your mouth when that happens or to say it underneath your breath or to think it when it comes through your mind, uh, that you would begin uh, to allow the resurrection of Jesus to change how you live and you would be a stranger and an alien in the world. I wonder... I wonder if the resurrection of Jesus and this fundamental change that he has brought into our life because we partnered with him would impact how we live in our marriages. 
that it would alter how we respond to our spouse in critical moments. That when we're in these tensious moments with our spouse, that when we're angry, that when we're mad, or when we really want to tell them what we think of them, we want to tell them what a mistake it is that we've made, even marrying them, when we want to just spew out hurtful words, that instead of uttering things underneath our breath, we would come and we would clasp hands with our spouse. And no matter what, we would play fair. And we would lovingly work through whatever tension there happens to be. And we would do it because we respond differently when there's tension in our marriages because of the resurrection of Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't just give us this wonderful, tremendous hope. He didn't just confirm it for us. He didn't just call us saved in heaven and strangers in the world so that we could sit on it. He said, you got to live it. And here's, here's maybe the best part. In chapter 2, verse 12, after he has said, I, I urge you to live as aliens and strangers in the world, abstaining from sinful desires which war against your soul. He says this, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Did you catch that? You see, you're not a stranger here just so that you can do good for you. You're not a stranger here in this world. You haven't just partnered with Christ in the resurrection uh, because uh, you can live really well for yourself. You're here as a stranger. You're here to live toward the resurrection so that you can be hope dispensers for others. Every Christmas, my parents would give us these Pez. Do you know what Pez are? They would give us like these packs of Pez. There's these little tiny, I don't know, capsules of candy. And they all have different heads and different dispensers. If you look online, people actually collect Pez dispensers. And they can be in all sorts of different styles. They can be Star Wars and they can be Looney Tunes and, and, and they can be, uh, you know, Marvel Comics and and every imaginable, uh, you know, Hollywood star has a Pez head, right? But here's the deal. You take the Pez dispenser, you stick the candy on the inside, and you take the head and you prop it back, and then, and then the candy shoots out. I know it's simple and it's probably childish, but I can't help but think that that's how God's created us when he made us strangers in the world. That what he's made us to do is to open up ourselves and dispense the hope that we have given from him because of the resurrection. You see, we have the resurrection. We partnered with God in Christ at our baptism uh, so that we can enjoy the resurrection and the hope that it brings. You see, the thing that Israel got wrong 
Uh, the reason that they were disciplined was not simply because they forgot to worship God. It was because they forgot that the reason God had placed them in the world uh, was so that they would have an opportunity to be hope dispensers to everybody else. So when you're a stranger and you begin to live differently at work, you have this glorious opportunity to live such a great life among the pagans, among people that don't know Jesus, that you begin to, to have opportunities, open doors, Paul might say, uh, to say, hey, look, this is the reason I live the way I do. This is the reason I have the hope that I have. So once in a while with my neighbors. Now I have neighbors, and so do you, who are pagans. They don't know Jesus, and they probably don't really care about Jesus. When I mention going to church, it's like, <laughs> you have neighbors like that. So once in a while, Lydia and I in particular uh, will we'll have made up some kind of a bag. Maybe it's cookies. Maybe it's a, uh, a little something, and we'll go ding-dong ditching. Now, that, that may sound bad, but it really isn't. We'll go to people's door, we'll ring their doorbell, uh, we'll, we'll leave a package of hopefully love and goodies with a little message uh, just that says, hey, God loves you or something, uh, and leave it on their doorstep. Now, I, I don't know that that's the, the best thing that we could ever do. We need to engage with our neighbors. But we're trying to live out, we're trying to say, hey, the resurrection is real because who we are as strangers and how we live is important. And we're to be hope dispensers to our neighbors. And you can do that at work, and you can do that in your homes, and you can do that with your kids. I coach soccer. I don't know that I'm especially good at it, but I've come to really enjoy it. And one of the things that I have, uh, in particular, come to really enjoy is that it tests me. I have, to, I have to keep in mind who I am and how I'm supposed to live. And so what we have tried to do in, in, in little ways through, throughout every season we've coached is just simply say, hey, we're going to love our players we don't know what home backgrounds they necessarily come from. We don't know how they came to us in practice that day. But we're going to love our players. We're going to love these girls to make sure that they know just, just some little piece of heaven. We had one little girl this last year. Her father was in prison. And she would oftentimes come to practice late. And maybe she didn't really practice all that hard. And it absolutely drove me mad. But I had to keep reminding myself, I, I don't know how she came here today, and my job is not to be, be making sure that she's the best soccer player ever. My job is to dispense hope to her. And so you have an opportunity in, in where you live, with your neighbors, with your friends, with your coworkers, in your home, with your kids, with your spouse, you have an opportunity to be hope dispensers. That God would use you and your partnering in the resurrection to bring hope to others. Because when you partner with Christ in the resurrection, you'll have unquenchable hope. And when you have unquenchable hope, you can't keep it to yourself. Pray with me. Lord God, I thank you so much for who you are and all that you do.
And I pray, Father, that you'll speak uh, boldly through your word. And I pray, Father, that if there's something here this morning uh, that has spoken into the life of someone, uh, Father, that their life would actually begin to change, that they would actually begin to make different choices, uh, that they would say, maybe for the first time, I want to be a stranger and alien in the world, and I want to be saved in heaven. That they would say, I want to begin to live my life differently because I'm, I've partnered with you in the resurrection. Gracious God, um, what a good thing it is to know unquenchable hope. That regardless of the circumstances or the suffering, regardless of how many things have gone south, that we have unquenchable hope because we have the resurrection. Lord, I pray that you guide and lead us to identify fully with you and live out that identity in the world. Thank you for making us strangers. Help us to be hope dispensers. I pray all this in Jesus' holy name.